for the reading of God's Word. Am I on? I am. All right. I am on. You get these pamphlets inside of the bulletin? All day prayer tomorrow from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Guess what we do at the beginning of the year? We give the first fruits of who we are to God, and we're going to do that with prayer. You can spend uh, 15 minutes or spend the whole day with us. That's at 10 Iroquois Street. That's really near here. You're really going to need a Bible today. So if you do not have a Bible, and forget those cell phone things. No, no. You get a Bible that you can turn the pages and raise your hand. They will come to you. You see, here we go, right here. <laughs> Boy, that was, a good, that was a good sales and marketing tactic. Uh, uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We are really going to be reading a lot of the Bible today. We're going to be going from place to place. A lot of times I have most of the verses on the projection screen. I have some on the projection screen today. Uh, we're going to be in Galatians. We are in going through Galatians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we are in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Any, anyone else need a Bible? Raise your hands if you need a Bible. Anyone else? Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. And every single one of you in here can say this because it's true for you. It's true for every single person here can say this verse. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're a non-Christian, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, in a sense, this is true for you. I have been crucified with Christ. That's for you. If you're standing here, that's for you. Your sin was there. Your guilt was there. You hung with Him on the cross. Whether you have acknowledged that with your life yet or not, nevertheless, it's true. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians. O foolish Galatians. O foolish ones at Calvary Chapel in the city. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Father, we pray and I speak this as into my own heart, Lord, O oh, foolish Pastor Steve, who's bewitched you? 
Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Father, forgive me. Forgive us. Forgive us for making the cross, making the shed blood, the, the blood that was pouring out, making it less than what it is. The purchase price, Lord, for us, our freedom, our joy, our gladness. Father, please do not let me be a hindrance to do this morning what the Spirit, what you, Holy Spirit, want to do in our hearts, in my hearts. Lord, I need this word as much as anyone in here. Speak to me. I pray this, Father, do that perfect work that you love to do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, verse 20 begins. We spent a whole week on this verse a few weeks ago. If you haven't heard that message, you may want to listen to it online. It begins, I've been crucified with Christ. And as I began saying this morning, when Jesus Christ was there on the cross 2,000 years ago, you were there. You were there. You were there on the cross being crucified with him. It's not usually the way we think. That's why we read the Bible so we'll learn how to think. The Bible says be renewed by the spirit of your, in the spirit of your mind. So your sin, your guilt, your shame was with him somehow, in him, on him. And when that iron stake was driven through his hand, when that iron stake was driven through his right hand, his left hand, his feet, you were there being crucified with him. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's what we began with this morning, verse 20. Your sin, your guilt, your shame. Verse 20 continues. It says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christianity is not an imitation religion. It's a resurrection religion. Buddhists may imitate Buddha. Muslims may imitate Muhammad. Eastern religions may imitate Confucius. Supremely, you Christian, that's not what you do. You don't imitate Jesus. That's impossible. Supremely, you don't imitate Jesus, but Jesus lives through you. It is no longer I who live, the verse says, but Christ in me. In Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 37, Jesus says this of you, Christian, Christ follower. It says, you are a son, you're a daughter of the Most High if you are kind to the ungrateful and evil. Now that's impossible. And that's why we don't try to imitate 
we just allow Jesus to live through us and we cry out every morning, Jesus, if you don't do it today, it ain't happening. It's not going to happen. I cannot be kind to the ungrateful, to the people I, I serve or work for or do things for and they could care less and even worse, the evil, I can't be kind to them. Jesus lived through me. He will. If you come to him in humility with a surrendered heart, he actually does that. Verse 20 continues. It says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is a reason that in the Bible, hundreds of times, not dozens of times, hundreds of times, not dozens of times, hundreds of times, it says that God loves you. The reason for that is, is because in your fallen nature, your, your, your nature, your, your, because of your sin-saturated, sin-ruined nature, what the Bible calls your old man, in your fallen nation, nature, it's inconceivable that there's a God who actually looks at you, at you, at little, old, insignificant, sin-saturated, sin-ruined you, and that he loves you, separate and apart from like the seven billion other people. It's just not us to think something like that. We're the seven billion people in the world. He loved me and gave his life for me. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's why the verse says this. He, he, it, says, it says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live now by flesh, in my flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Calvary Chapel, if you get just that in 2023, that God loves you and he gave his life for you, I am telling you most of your problems will go away. If you understand that very simple thing, God loves you and you embrace it by truth. So important that we take faith and believe in the word of God. Verse 21 says this, says this, let's continue. We're doing this verse by verse. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now remember, there were no chapter numbers or verse numbers when this was written. It was just one long letter. It's like you write, you write your, whatever, your grandma letter, your son. You don't put a bunch of numbers before every sentence. That's how it was when it was written. There was no big three. It just went right into verse 3. Uh, chapter 3, rather, verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So again, verse 21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Are you doing that today? 
Are you setting aside the grace of God? Are you? Now that word set aside in the original language in the Greek, it's the word atheteo. <laughs> atheteo is used 12 times in the New Testament. Almost all the times it's used, it's translated not set aside, but despise or reject. So the word could be translated, this verse could be translated, I don't despise the grace of God. I don't despise it. I don't reject it. I don't throw it away. I'm not sure why the translator decided to use the word set aside it, 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 because it, it can be translated in that way. Almost every other time this word is used is despise, reject, cast away. It's really strong language. I don't despise, I don't hate the grace of God. I don't throw it away. Now how does someone despise the grace of God? How do you do that? I want to know. I don't want to do that. Well, this is how. By treating the bleeding Son of God on the cross as something less than it is. As something less than the full and complete payment for all your sin. That's why in chapter 3, verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. You're despising that. You're despising the grace of God is what he is saying. The book of Hebrews uses similar language uh, in chapter 10, incredibly graphic. It's, it's, it's similar. It says, it speaks of people who have trampled the Son of God underfoot and insulted the Spirit of grace. Wow! I don't want to do that. What is that? What does a man or a woman do to trample on the, the Son of God? To trample Jesus Christ. Muddy boots trample on the Son of God underfoot and insult the Spirit of grace. It's to treat by your life or just what you believe the bleeding Savior on a cross as something less than what it really is. Something less than what it really is. The complete, full payment for your sin, meaning the purchase price of your sin. 
If I view Jesus Christ bleeding on the cross as something less than the full and complete payment of my sins, the Bible says I am despising grace. I'm trampling underfoot the Son of God. I'm insulting and despising the Spirit of grace. That is heavy. So again, uh, verse 21 of chapter 2 says, I do not set aside. I do not despise the grace of God. For if the righteousness comes through the law, meaning if, if, if me getting right with God comes by just trying to do my best, trying to follow the law, if the righteousness um, comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, meaning he wasted his time. The Son of God just came. He wasted all his time, is what it's saying. Again, chapter 3, verse 1, O foolish Galatians. And it's good to put your name in there when you're just meditating the Bible. Because this is what we do. O foolish Pastor Steve, who's bewitched you? It says that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified, meaning he had described it to them. Jesus Christ crucified. Verse 2, it says this. Let's continue reading. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What does that mean? What's he talking about there? It says, did you, did you receive, verse 2, the Spirit? It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? What's he talking about? It says that they, he, he's making a statement here. He's saying that they received the Holy Spirit not by the works of the law, meaning trying to follow the law or doing good things, but by the hearing of faith. They received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. What does that mean? What does it mean that they received the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith? We don't usually talk like that. So let's, I told you you're going to use your Bibles. Go to Acts chapter 10. That is to your left. Acts chapter 10. It's probably, oh, is that like 100 pages or something like that? To your left. Not that far to your left. Acts chapter 10. Raise your hands when you get there. You raise your hands? Okay. I think that's a quorum. So Acts chapter 10. So the setting here is... Peter, for the first time ever, is going to talk to people who are not Jews about Jesus Christ. He's going to be talking to Gentiles. And God had told him to go talk to these non-Jews. That's what a Gentile is. A Gentile is a non-Jew. He told him, and, and I tell you, he put up a big fight, but God gets his way. You know, it's a waste of time to fight God. Some of you are fighting God today, just telling you you're wasting your time. You're not going to win. 
So he, he went there to these Gentiles, these non-Jews. These are the same kind of folks that Paul is speaking to in the book of Galatians, which we're in right now. The same kind of people who they receive the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith. Now you're going to see right now, you're going to see a story it's not Paul, but it's Peter. They worked together. They loved each other. They got, in, they got in some conflict. We read that right in chapter one. It was all, they made it up. They loved each other. They worked together. And so he goes in, he starts talking to these non-Jews. He went into their house and ate with them, which was crazy for a Jewish person to do, to go into a house of a non-Jew and eat with them. But God said, you better do that. That wall's been broken down. You go in there. And so go to verse 34, and it actually tells the message here. We're going to read the message. What is it that he said to these non-Jews? It says in verse 32, it says, rather, verse 34, it says, then Peter opened his mouth. It wasn't an easy thing for him to do. Sometimes it's not easy for me to do when I get up here. Open my mouth. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, meaning God does not favor Jews over non-Jews. For him, that, that, may, that may seem normal to you, not for him. At the time, Gentiles, they were dogs. They called them dogs. Even Jesus referred to them as little dogs because of their lifestyle. And, 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 but here, it, uh, it, it says here in verse 34, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He doesn't favor Jews or non-Jews. Everyone's the same. God, God says... The Bible says, uh, in Christ there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. Verse 35, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Verse 36, so this is, he's telling these folks, this is, this is the message. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Meaning, not just Jews, He's Lord of all. He's Lord of you. Verse 37. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. Verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he, Jesus, did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they killed, referring to the crucifixion, by hanging on a tree. Verse 40, him, meaning Jesus Christ, God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Jesus Christ appeared to 500 people after he had been raised from the dead before being ascended to heaven. Verse 41, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God 
even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. When you die, you will be judged. That's what that verse says. Verse 43. I'm almost done here. To him, Jesus, speaking of Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes, important word, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And then look at this, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking all these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now, do you guys remember the verse we're in? In Galatians chapter 2, 3, verse 2? It says that you, it, it says they, they, received the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith. Let's read this again. While Peter was still speaking these words, meaning Jesus Christ died for your sins. If you believe him, you believe in him, who he is, what he did, you will be saved. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 44, fell upon all those who heard the word, verse 45, and those of the circumcision, meaning the Jews who were present, who believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. So again, you go back to the verse in Galatians, turn back to Galatians chapter 3. Where in verse 2, Paul said to the Galatians, he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, they received the Holy Spirit, not trying to follow the law and be good, but, but, but by the hearing of faith. When, when Peter was speaking to those people in Acts, telling them about Jesus Christ as they were hearing, the Holy Spirit came inside of them and saved them for all eternity. They had not done a single good thing. They didn't present themselves to him and say, hey, I've been a good wife, a good husband, a good son. None of that. It was simply faith in Jesus Christ. By the hearing of faith, by the hearing of faith, they received the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that the moment you receive the Holy Spirit, you're saved. You're saved from what? God's judgment for your sins. And you are saved into an everlasting relationship with God. Now, this is a big deal to these, this was a big deal to these Galatians and these non-Jews, these Gentiles. Remember, what did the Jews call the Gentiles? Shout it out. Dogs. Why? Well, you know, there was actually a reason. They lived like dogs. They just went like God, dogs do. You they copulate with one dog here, copulate with another, copulate. It doesn't matter. 
Life is about sexual immorality and, 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 and th these people had accumulated a gigantic record of ugliness in their life. In fact, here is a description of them um, in the book of Colossians. Here's a description of these non-Jews, these Gentiles, these Galatians who Paul was talking to. It, it, he says in Colossians chapter 3, verses um, 5 through 7, he says, therefore put to death the behavior of your formal self. And so what was the behavior of their former self? Fornication, uncleanness, Uncleanness, speaking of sexual sin, by the way. Passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, once you walk in this and you find yourself deep in it, how are you going to get saved? How are you ever going to go to heaven? How are you ever going to make up for everything you did? Colossians actually continues. It says in verses 8 and 9, so he's telling them, put away all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And this is important. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You see, that's all a description of their old man. That's a description of their old woman. But again, the question is this. Once you have accumulated that record of ugliness in your life, how on earth do you have a relationship with God? And the answer was simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Just believing that he's the son of God. Because anything more than that, it's impossible. We can't make up with a hundred lives to make up for what we've done. All we can do, the Bible says, Jesus says, I knock at the door of your heart. You open up your heart as, uh, to me as Lord. I will come in and I will dine with you. Speaking of relationship. And so Paul, again, he, he says in, in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 3, Who's bewitched you? Who's put a spell on you? You foolish Galatians. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly shown as crucified. Verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by the hearing of faith? Which one? Which one was it? Then let's look at verse 3. This is a well-known verse. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Meaning in your own strength. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? They began in the Spirit. They began just simply by believing that the gift of life, that the gift of relationship with God was simply by faith. And that we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't try to be good enough to ever have it. And, and when Paul initially went and spoke to these Galatians, there was so much joy. There was so much gladness. There was so much excitement. But what had happened, they had lost it. Why? Why? Because they 
started well, believing in just sort of, I'm saved by grace, and then they had started to walk in the law, meaning, okay, I understand why I, I was initially saved, but now I'm going to be tried to try to be good enough day to day in order to make sure God hears me, in order to make sure I can be in church with all those holy roller people that are at church, to make sure that um, I, I, I'm good enough for communion. And he, and he says, why? You, why? You foolish Galatians. Jesus Christ was clearly shown to you as crucified. Why, having started in the Spirit, do you now try to work things out in the flesh in your own strength. Now go back with me again to the book of Acts, this time to Acts chapter 13. I just want to show you a picture of what they were like at the very beginning and why Paul is so upset here. The answer was, at the beginning, they were filled with joy. They were filled with gladness. Go back to um, chapter 13 of the book of Acts. I told you we'd be in the Bible today. Raise, raise some hands when you get there. You know, I don't know, that's about half. I'm 60%. All right. There's 61% there, 62%. So in the book of Acts chapter 13, Paul is for the first time speaking to these people who he later writes to in the book of Galatians that we are talking about this morning. And again, he's talking about Jesus Christ. In verse 38, he's speaking to them for the first time. They've never heard of Jesus Christ. They don't know who Jesus Christ is. They were pagans. They believed in like different gods with different names. They had never heard of Jesus Christ. And so he's speaking to them for the first time. And he says in verse 38, he says, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. That's what everyone longs for. Everyone knows instinctively that they're in big time trouble because of their sins. <laughs> and they got to get forgiveness somehow. Verse 39. And by him, by Jesus Christ, everyone believes, who believes, is justified, meaning in the eyes of God, from all the things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now go down to verse 42. This was the initial reaction of the Galatians, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the, uh, the synagogue, it says the Gentiles, meaning the, the non-Jews, begged that the words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Please come back. We've never heard this. Now go to verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Again, what was the word of God? You can't be justified by, by, in, um, with God by trying to be good. You simply need to believe that God has come to die for your sin and accept him into your life as Lord and Savior. Now go down to verse 48. It says in verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as 
had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Now go to the last verse, verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So again, back to Galatians. Let's go back to Galatians where our study is. So a few years go by, and Paul writes to them this letter, remembering all the joy that they had, remembering that these people had just come by faith. They had way too much baggage in their past to, to do anything else than come to him by faith. And he says in verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made per perfect in your own strength in the flesh? What happened? Well, they started doing what we do. We receive the Spirit by the hearing of faith. We hear that there's nothing we can do in a hundred lifetimes to deserve the perfection of heaven, but that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a perfect life so He could credit that perfection to you, to me, and that <clears throat> He died for us on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins, hell and judgment. And we believe and we receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible says at that time, the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance with God to come. But then after a while, what do we do? Well, I need to be good enough this. I need to be good enough that. I need to read the Bible a certain amount of minutes every day for God to accept me. I need to pray a certain number of hours a week for God to hear me. I need to give enough, love enough. I not lose my temper enough. Get all those pornographic thoughts out of my head. I need to be kind enough, patient enough, joyful enough, faithful enough, pure enough, strong enough, obedient enough. God says, stop. Or you began in the spirit. Why are you continuing on in the flesh? And if any of you are like in that place today, and by the way, we slip into this every day. <laughs> but if you're like deep in this, just exhausted trying to be good enough to be accepted by God, there is a solution. There is something that can be done. You need a vivid real-life picture of Jesus Christ bleeding on that cross. That's what it says in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified, he had gone there and somehow Paul had given him a, a, a description of Jesus bleeding on the cross that had just moved them to tears. It's as if Jesus Christ was spurting out blood right in front of them. And you want a solution? You want a solution to, 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 to the, getting into this performance trap with God that you're trying to be good enough to deserve His love, trying to be good enough to, uh, uh, to go and, and, and pray to Him, trying to be good enough to have communion? You need a vivid, real-life picture of Jesus Christ bleeding on the cross to me, one of the best descriptions 
that's for you and me today, yes, it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but it's in Revelation chapter 5. Let's go there, and we're going to conclude there. Last book of the Bible. Last book of the Bible. And this is a shocking scene that I had never considered prior to studying for this message. Now, the book of Revelation is the Apostle John is given, I don't know whether you would call it a vision. It's, it's a real-life experience where he is told by Jesus Christ, it's, it's called the Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's told by revelation, uh, but he's given a revelation by Jesus Christ of things that were to come, and among other things, he's taken right up into heaven. And he shows us, and we read a vision of Jesus, of Jesus Christ into heaven. So I want to just begin here in, in chapter 5. I mean, I was just stunned, <clears throat> stunned reading this. And I'm just so thankful to the Lord for it. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, I, meaning John, John the Apostle John, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne, this speaking of God the Father, I saw a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? I mean, take off its seals to read it. A scroll is it's like a, it's not, it's not, we read books today, they had scrolls then. It's something you read off of it. And in the scroll, it was the judgment that's going to come on earth just prior to Jesus' return. Verse 3 says this, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Verse 4, So I wept much because no one was found worthy to, be, to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and, on the four and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. He saw a lamb as though it had been slain. Now that's referring to Jesus Christ. It's not a lamb like a fluffy little thing on a farm. This is Jesus Christ. He saw standing there a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, Calvary Chapel, I want you to think about that. What is that? A lamb. What's that? What is he looking at? A lamb as though it has been slain. And, I, you know, I whipped through the Bible. I've taught through the book of Revelation. I've read this verse so many times. Oh, you know, it's a guy with... It's Jesus, and he's got, he's got a nail, nail piercing, you know, piercing a hole in his hand and right hand, his left hand, and his feet. No, that's not what it says. It says that a lamb 
as though it had been slain. You know what a lamb, as though it has been slain, looks like? What does it look like? It's covered in blood. It's covered in blood. And this isn't like caked up blood. This, hap this, this, this happens, whatever, 50, 60 years after Jesus died. It's like recently, a body recently covered by blood. And it says when they saw it, a couple of verses later, it says the elders fell to the ground. Oh, just upon looking at this, they fell to the ground. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it was appointed unto man to die one time. And then comes the judgment of your life. So I have a question for you. When you die, I was with a man who died, my father-in-law, a week ago yesterday. It was a glorious scene, seeing him usher, ushered into heaven. But there was a judgment that happened. And I have a question for you. When you die and you stand before God and He asks you, why should I let you into heaven? Are you going to say, with Jesus Christ standing there, covered in blood, oh, I'm just, I'm a, I've been a good guy. Are you going to do that? Really? <laughs> Are you going to say, I've been a good friend, a good son, with Jesus covered with fresh blood right in front of you, standing there? Are you going to say that? Are you going to say, oh, I was the type of guy I gave my, I took the shirt off my back. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, that, that shirt on your back is like a filthy rag before that, compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Or worse, are you going to say, my sin really wasn't that bad? With a bleeding Savior standing right there in front of you. You're not going to be saying any of those things. You're going to realize as much as you've ever realized during your time on earth, there's only one claim I have on heaven. And it's this bleeding Savior right in front of me that's standing me, covered in blood. This lamb, as if it had been slain. What do you need? What do I need for the year 2023? You need a growing, fresh understanding and picture of Jesus Christ, your bleeding Savior. Amen. It will work such a humility in you. <laughs> it will work such a desire to throw off your sin <laughs> that you once lived in. It will it'll work in you such a, a love for God you foolish Galatians, chapter 3, verse 1. Among whom Jesus Christ was 
vividly presented as bleeding and crucified. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up at this time. And so here we are at the beginning of Two thousand twenty-three, and uh, I've been saying this the last couple of New Years. The best thing about being saved by the blood of Jesus and doing what those Galatians first did, and just open up their hearts wide and say, "Come in, Lord." Best thing about it is that you know every single year can be a better year than the last one. There's a promise, multiple promises in the Bible that say that, chief among of, of which is Romans 8.29, which says, those who God foreknew, meaning he foreloved, he predestined to change into the image of his son. Speaking of a constant growth, the Bible says we go, we have the privilege, if we choose of going from grace to grace, glory to glory. That can be your year 2023. Why don't you stand? If you've been asked to pray, please come up. Please come up now. If you've been asked to pray up here, we have prayer people in the front. And if something in the message today has stirred your heart, Please come up and pray at this time. If you've been asked to pray, do we have prayer couple, Solomon? Perhaps you're thinking or you were moved, what am I going to say when I am presented before God? When I pass, when I die, Have I ever opened up my heart to that knocking Savior? Why do I say that knocking Savior? Because Jesus says he is. He says he knocks on the door of your heart. Anyone who says, yeah, come in. And by the way, you get 100% Jesus. He will come in. He'll dine with you. If you've never done that, please come up. We can lead you in a simple prayer of faith. Remember, it was really simple in Acts the Acts 13 for those Gentiles to be saved all they did was believe that Jesus was their Lord and I'm talking about a full surrender of their life because God's a perfect gentleman if you want 5% of your life you'll say okay no I wouldn't want to do I wouldn't want to impose upon you but if you've never give, given that 100% to the Lord you come on up. I'll be up here. You can pray with me. Or if there's something else that just stirred in your heart, maybe you want just, oh, pray for me that God would grant me the faith to make this year a better year than last year. Solomon, can we have at least two more couples? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for... I pray this, this, this message would become real to me. Lord, I need it so desperately. Oh. And to all of us, Lord. I 
pray, Father, this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can come up to pray. and Otherwise, let's worship. Let's close in worship.